Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Uh, yeah, uh, last class session we talked about Cape Fear. And this class session we're going to move on to a very different movie called The Age of Innocence. Uh, the Age of Innocence is probably one of Marty's most forgotten films, at least within the last, well, almost 20 years now. Um, actually, almost 30 years now. Um, it didn't do well at the box office. It was not well received, but it is a masterfully well done film. And I think that's why it's important that we talk about it. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, The Age of Innocence is a film. Um, it's about an engaged man in high society New York, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, who is engaged to Winona Ryder's character. However, he has fallen in love with Michelle Pfeiffer's character, who is, I believe, the cousin of Winona Ryder. In the film, at least. So it's this kind of crazy love triangle. But because it takes place in this very high-class, high-society New York, um, where scandal is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you, the story isn't about love. It's actually about the repression of love. So why did Marty take on a costume picture or a period drama like this? Well, um, he was handed the book by Jay Cox, who was a, a a writer that he knew. The book was written by Edith Wharton, who lived in this time and specifically within these people, so she understood them. And it wasn't until Marty really keyed in on the power of passivity, which was something he felt he could relate to, that he really began to understand the book. And once he began that avenue in, he really began to realize that even though this was a very different world from the one he was raised in, a world that was a lot closer to films he had made like Mean Streets and Goodfellas and Raging Bull, even though it was a different world from that, the, the, the value system was still the same. It was still that if you mess up, you're out. There's no coming back from that. You know, and you have to earn your way into the group if you're from the outside, etc. So Marty told Jay Cox, I want to make this movie. So why don't you take a copy of the book and I'll take a copy of the book and we'll each make notes in the margins. Then we'll come together and we'll see what we have and we'll go from there. And so they meet and Marty says, okay, turn to page one. And they open page one and they talk and he looks over at his notes and he looks at Jay's notes and he says, turn to page 12. And you go to 12, and he looks at Jay's notes, and he looks at his notes. And Jay Cox says that like 95% of the time, they had the exact same notes on the exact same pages, even though they had not discussed the novel with each other at all. And a similar thing happened with Scorsese just just before this in, in uh, with uh, Nicholas Pileggi when he wrote Goodfellas. So based on that alone, Marty was like, okay, we're going to make this movie. Um Let's let's go to work. And so in 17 days, they had a script ready to go. Now, Marty had always wanted to make a movie in this in this genre, the costume picture um, genre, because it was one that he had enjoyed when he was growing up. And it was one that he, he had experienced some some rebirth 
with when he discovered uh, Lucino Visconti's films like Senso and The Leopard. But it was one that he had enjoyed when he grew up because, and it, perhaps in large part because his father worked in the garment industry in New York City. And so he was, of course, interested in anything having to do with his craft. Um, and so some of that passion was probably passed on to Marty. But one of the other things that attracted Marty to this to this specific story was that it was a chance to do it in, in a New York setting, not in Europe somewhere, but actually do it in New York, his hometown, the place that he feels the strongest connection to. And that was especially helpful to him because he wasn't doing a lot of the research, but he was sifting through the research that was coming to him. And so there was a lot of upfront work to do with this before he could even really think about how to, you know, where, you know, where do I put the camera or how do I tell the actors to act? And that was the interesting thing about this specific venture for Marty was it wasn't it much like Goodfellas. It was about exploring a culture, a way of life. It was, as he calls it, almost anthropological. And so the first thing they did, of course, was was to really study the book itself because it was written by someone who really was there and really who knew these things and knew about this way of life. So they really stick with the details that are in the book. For example, there's there's a there's a ballroom scene where we see all the men show up and they each have stacks of white gloves that they hand to not a coat check person, but someone like that on a table and they have all these gloves laid out. And even though it's not stated in the film, the reason that's there is because that was something that you did. If you went to go da- go to a, a big formal dance like that and you were a man, you brought white gloves because every time you dance with a different partner, you would change your gloves. When you watch the film, you'll notice a lot of a lot of food. A lot of inserts of plates of food that are very elaborate and uh, decorative, um, very gourmet dishes. And this, again, adds that other layer of detail of this is what they ate. You know, they'd sit there and eat five, six, seven courses every night. Didn't matter if it was a quiet dinner at home or if someone was hosting an event. That's just what you did in this society. And one of the other things is um, in every house, there's different paintings. And that was a common thing that everyone would decorate their house with with paintings. And, and that was part of part of the kind of showmanship and, and sort of part of the, the understanding of each other is, oh, well, so and so has these painting paintings and so and so has these paintings. And and so what they did is they commissioned, I, I believe, like 100 paintings for this film and each one needed to have different characteristics to reveal something about the different characters. So Michelle Pfeiffer's house has very different paintings than say, um, Daniel day Lewis's house in this film. And again, all of this comes from the book and Marty felt that it was very important to stay true to the book and very important to pull as much possible from the book as there could be to the point where he adds voiceover in this story. And the voiceover is pulled straight from the prose passages of the novel itself. 
And a lot of the prose is there to help us understand what's going on in this story, help us understand what's going on in this world that's very foreign to us. Marty particularly liked pulling Edith Wharton's words, though, because he felt it added a certain amount of texture that would otherwise be unattainable. And Marty felt that all of this detail, all of this world building was so necessary because not only was Wharton's novel anthropological in a sense, but it it helps you understand the struggle of Daniel Day-Lewis's character and Michelle Pfeiffer's character and why they have to be so repressed, why they can't just you know, be madly in love with each other and, and, and have an affair because all this crazy detail, all these rituals basically that, that this society goes through helps us understand how restrictive it is, helps us understand that you can't just go off on your own and do whatever you want because if you do, you're out. And it's, it's, it's that sense of, it's that sense of being, you have to be repressed because the society represses you. And that's what Marty was trying to key in on in this film specifically. But because it's a story of cultural repression and, 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 and the story leaves a lot of things unsaid, Marty then had to utilize the visual medium of film in a way that would help express the subtext, all the things that are left unsaid in this film. So every shot was planned meticulously and most of the camera moves were in the script from, from the get-go because Marty had to spend so much time thinking about how how the camera was going to tell what the characters couldn't or how the camera was going to say what the characters couldn't it the the camera in and of itself is almost a character in and of itself in that it helps us understand the story so for example there's a dinner scene where there's four people at a at a table and they're each he he never shoots a wide shot. He only shoots them in these medium singles. But the shots are so symmetrical that as you jump around, it almost feels like a jump cut. And, and Marty was willing to go with that because, because what was important was, was that symmetry. Because it shows... It shows a sense of order and a sense of propriety. Um... This kind of, this is the way things are and this is the way they will always be. You know, and that's all communicated through the camera. And one of the other things that they did, that they do is they use a lot of slow motion. They use a lot of overcranking, which thankfully Marty was able to do in a way that he had never been able to before because Aerie had just released a new camera that would allow you to change the speed of the film during the shot it literally had a crank on it that you could that 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 would change the speed of the motor as the film went through so he was able to precisely say and now i want this shot to be in slow motion and now i want it to come back to regular 
and now I want it to be at 96 frames and now I want you to go back to 24 or whatever it was. And so that was a way that Marty was able to use his tools at his disposal to really help tell the story. And this movie was so meticulously planned that even the edits were planned beforehand. He even knew where each shot was going to begin and end. He, he really shot this in a way that's similar to the way Hitchcock would shoot a film, where you knew exactly what shot you were going to be on and exactly when that shot was going to end and when it was going to start. And you knew exactly which shot you were cutting from and which shot you were cutting to. He, he really worked it all out because it was necessary to use everything at his disposal to tell the story that the characters couldn't tell. And one of the things that you'll notice is there's these color dissolves where instead of dissolving to black or even to white, which is a, a much rarer use of, of a dissolve, he would dissolve to yellow or dissolved to red. And those are expressive too. It's just another way of adding another emotional expressive layer to the visual storytelling. So I'm sorry this episode's a little shorter than usual, um, but I think there's some good information in there. And I think if you watch the film, then you'll really have a much better understanding of, of these ideas um, and, and, and how Marty was able to use them in a manner that was most effective for telling this story. If you would like to reach out to us um, here at the podcast, you can email us at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, uh, which is hitch underscore you is our Twitter handle, uh, or like us on Facebook, just the page Hitchcock University. Um, Give you a preview of what's coming up. After this, we're going to talk about Casino. And then we're going to talk about Kundun. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but whatever. And I think we're going to come back to New York around this time period and look at Gains of New York. I'm pretty sure that's right. For those of you following at home, you're going to notice that we skipped over Bringing Out the Dead. Um, I, I can't do every movie Scorsese did. Um, I'm not even, I I haven't even seen that movie from what I've heard. Um, even Marty doesn't really like that movie that much. Um, but certainly I'm going to watch it at some point. Um, and I encourage you to watch it as well, just for the heck of it really. Um, so yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we're going to move forward, um, with those three movies, Casino Kundun and Gains of New York. Uh, Thank you all for listening again to Hitchcock University. My name is Taylor Bickle. I will talk to you again in two weeks. Thanks.